Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Bum, 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 bum. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Well, the merry bells keep ringing. Happy, happy wish come true. I totally knew the words. Bing Crosby, uh, you know. One of the greats. Yeah, one of the greats. Well, he's one of many people, I believe, that sung it. But was he the one that wrote it? Who knows? Probably not. There's no way to find out. <laughs> There's absolutely no way to find out. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays. That's uh, right. And by holidays, we mean Thanksgiving. If even. you're in the States, Thanksgiving yes. should be coming up. Or maybe it's even happening right now, depending on when you're listening to this. Some people watch all our episodes way after the fact. So it could be summer for them right now, too. And uh, we're in California, so it's basically summer for us. That's right, unless you're wearing a sweet Christmas sweater like I am. That is awesome. All right, welcome everybody to the Command Zone Podcast. You are watching and listening. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. And we have a JLK special today. Yes, today we are going to be talking about the most powerful commander decks. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. So we thought we'd show some love to the more spiky players out there. Um, Yeah. I guess we're just going to talk. I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. Like, some of you are probably be mad that we're going to be talking about really powerful decks. But our philosophy, as always, is play the game the way you enjoy. We've been accused of being spikes on occasion, even though we are not as spiky as the competitive EDH scene is. But no. it is fun to look at those decks and marvel at, like, the stuff they can do. And it can give you ideas for the more 75% oriented people out there. Um It's still okay to look at the really powerful decks and be like, they are doing some sweet things. Now, I don't want to take it to that level. Yeah. But also, if you do want to take it to that level, it is cool to sort of look at those decks and be like, I want to do that. Well, think about it this way. I enjoy basketball now that I'm playing it, and I never used to like watching pro basketball because I didn't really have a connection to it. But now that I'm learning how to play and I can watch you know, the top players make awesome plays, see how their formations are run, you're like, oh, I okay, I may never get to that level. I don't aspire to be at that level. But there's a whole lot to learn from it. You're never going to do like a 360 slam dunk? Oh, my gosh. I just want to under the legs one. I mean, that's that's like as weak as it gets. But That's even hard off a trampoline. I know. Everything's hard. <laughs> Everything's hard. Basketball's tough. But before we get into it, let's talk about our sponsors real fast. Cardkingdom.com slash command zone. That's the affiliate link. That's what you're going to type into your browser, into your URL section of your website. And the next time you're going to want to go buy some magic products, singles, sealed product, whatever. Card Kingdom, I love them. Yep, and the holidays are coming, so yeah. make sure that you buy all your gifts using that affiliate link. And watch out. There are going to be a lot of holiday sales, too. Yeah, true, and you'll be supporting all of our stuff when you do that. Another big supporter of Game Night's Command Zone is Ultra Pro. They're one of our great, great sponsors. They also make great, great products. The Eclipse Sleeves we always talk about, but they always have the themed stuff for whatever the newest set is. So right now we've got Iconic Masters themed playmats, sleeves, deck boxes. Pretty soon here we're going to have Unstable yeah, and all oh that sweet man. swag. So Those previews. Yeah, keep your eyes out for all that stuff from Ultra Pro when you're at your LGS or, or, or using the, uh, the Card Kingdom link and things mm -hmm. like that. Uh, we, we really appreciate all the support. And the last way to support the show is directly at patreon.com slash command zone. In fact, we call out one lucky patron every single episode. Who's it going to be? This episode is dedicated to Ryan, who is on first. Ryan, you rock. You rock. All right, let's move right on to the main topic here, the most powerful commander decks. Have you played against many of these, Josh? Some, yeah. Uh, 
I haven't played with. I haven't actually piloted any of these decks. I have played against. I'd be a too few afraid of them. to pilot one. I would they, not know what to do. <laughs> a lot of these are really difficult to pilot, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah, so I've played against a few of these. There's a couple that I only know by reputation. Um, so I, we should stay right here, just as a disclaimer. There's not going to be like a big consensus on what the most powerful decks are. We're going to name no. about. We're going to talk about about five of them. And there's going to be people, of course, out there. That's not th- you. Why didn't you talk about this one? And blah. blah. Okay, we're just going to talk about what are among the most powerful. Maybe there's a few that we're we're, we're not talking about. Um, maybe we missed or we don't know about. There's some with Protean Hulk coming out. There's a bunch of oh right a, a bunch. Sorry, with Protean Hulk becoming unbanned, unbanned. not coming out. Um, there's sort of a bunch of decks that use Protean Hulk now that I'm not as familiar with because it's more it's newer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny to say newer about Protean Hulk, but Hulk, but it kind of is with some of those decks. Um, so we're I, kind of deficient talking about that in this area, and I definitely think there are probably some Protean Hulk decks that have emerged. Uh, maybe they use some of the same commanders, but maybe they don't. And so you know, I haven't even seen Protean Hulk be played yet. Now that you mention it, yeah, I've seen maybe like it only once or twice. It's super degenerate. So is a lot of this stuff. Um, and I also want to say there's going to be some variation in the build. So I'm going to, you know, try and talk about just the most common things that these decks do. But, you know, we're going to talk about Thrasios as the first one. And already Thrasios has a ton of different builds because he's a partner commander. Yeah. And you'll see a Thrasios Kaidel, a Thrasios Vile Smasher, Thrasios Timna, even Thrasios Tana as sort of competitive EDH decks. They're all doing similar things, but they're all not doing exactly the same things, especially as sort of the periphery mm-hmm. stuff that it can do. So, um, you know, we may not talk about the exact build that you're familiar with, but I think the general idea of the decks is usually similar. So, yeah, another big thing to note is that these are, in general, very expensive decks. Uh, they're decks that want to go off on turn two or three, which means that they can never stumble on a land. They can never put a comes in the play land, uh, comes in the tapped land, and they're also using cards from Legacy and Vintage, and they all have a lot of tutors which is why they're so lethal. is because they're able to be very consistent and always get out the key pieces to their deck. So all of these cards, obviously, amongst the most powerful cards in Magic. So as a result, amongst the most expensive as well. Yeah, and a lot of times they're running the really um, expensive disruption too. So Force of Will, Pact of Negation, the Mana Drains, just that stuff that sort of occupies the mythological area of Magic of the really expensive cards. So that's going to be something that a lot of these decks share because, again, like you said, they just have to be the fastest, most efficient thing possible. Um, and you'll notice a lot of these decks are built around specific cards that aren't commanders. And so that's one of the reasons for the tutors, because most of them are trying to combo off in some way. Almost all of them, basically. Um, okay, so let's dive right into the first most powerful deck. It is Thrasios, as I said. Um, you can pair Thrasios with a number of other a number of other partners. We're going to talk mostly about Thrasios because he's the key to the strategy. Yep. Um, Thrasios is a green and a blue for a 1-3 legendary creature, Merfolk Wizard. Has an ability. You pay four, and then you scry one, and then reveal the top card of your library. If it's a land card, put it onto the battlefield tapped. Otherwise, draw a card. Thrasios also has partner, which I've mentioned already. Um, so... Turns out this is an insanely powerful ability, and there's a couple of reasons why. The main reason, I think, is that it costs four colorless mana. It doesn't tap Thrasios, so you can activate it as many times as you have four colorless mana, 
And the fact that it's colorless mana yeah. really kind of takes the restriction away that you would normally have of not being able to do act. this multiple times in the turn. And specifically infinite times. Yeah. So Thrasios lets you draw your entire deck if you ever make infinite mana. Like, you don't need another piece to sort of do something. And creating infinite mana is a thing a lot of decks want to do. In fact, most of the most powerful decks at some point want to create infinite mana. And then you're trying to find a way to use it. Well, Thrasios gives you that um, just automatically on your commander. And so that's one of the reasons that he's so, so powerful. It, he does put lands into play, so you're not drawing the lands. Yeah. Um, the lands come into play tapped. There are some ways to abuse that, but most Thrasios decks don't really care. They're just trying to go infinite with mana, so they guaranteed draw their entire deck... And then once they do that, they have a few ways to sort of capitalize and win. Because remember, at that point, you have infinite mana and you have all your cards in your hand. So yeah. almost most decks will be able to win from that point if they want to. Mm -hmm. um, mean, you better be able to win in that case. You shouldn't be able, you shouldn't build a deck that can purposely draw its entire deck and then not do anything with it. Yeah, especially once it has infinite mana. Like yeah. you could cast everything most at that point. So uh, the the win condition you see the most, I think, is probably Blue Sun Zenith. And that card is blue, 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 and X. And then target player draws X cards. And then, and this is important, you shuffle Blue Sun Zenith into its owner's library. So you get infinite mana with Thrasios. You draw your entire deck. And now you can cast Blue Sun Zenith for infinite, for, you know, 300 on Jimmy. He can't draw 300 cards. He dies. Wait. Thing is, Blue Sun Zenith resolves, doesn't go to the graveyard, goes back into your library. You've drawn your entire deck, so now it's on top of your deck. You activate Thrasios, mm -hmm. draw that card back in your hand, cast it again, cast it again, cast it again, kill, knock out every person in the game with Blue Sun Zenith. Um, that requires some specific things because you do need three bl blue mana to, mm -hmm. to cast, but usually Thrasios has a bunch of ways to sort of create colored mana as well. Uh, we'll yeah. talk about that. Also, when you're able to draw your entire deck, uh, you're going to draw your force of will and your pact of negation so yep. you can protect it you pretty much i mean like you probably only need one real counter spell to stop it uh you definitely don't need more than three if there's four players at the table but one is almost always enough i found i mean if you're playing in a competitive scene though the other players all have force of will and pact of negations in right. their deck too so you're gonna need a lot of disruption but it's in blue and you're gonna have your entire deck in your hand so your chances of being able to protect it are very high yeah the, another weird way that I, I read about, I haven't actually seen this happen, but um, when I was doing research for this episode, I read about a pretty convoluted way to win that's not Blue Sun Zenith. <laughs> so you use Time Twister, Reality Shift, and Beast Within. And so Time Twister is one of the power nine, but it's actually not banned in Commander. Right. And what everybody does is they shuffle their graveyard and library hands. and hand into their library. Sorry, their graveyard and hand into their library. And then draw seven new cards. Mm -hmm. So, but again, you're at, you're Thrasios and you've already created infinite mana at this point. So you're always drawing your entire hand. So you have Time Twister in your hand again every time you cast it. And what you do is you cast Reality Shift on their creature. That makes them manifest the top card of their library. You cast Time Twister. That creature's still out. You Reality Shift. Your ex Reality Shift, sorry, exiles target creature and then they manifest. Oh, right. And you basically exile their entire library slowly. <laughs> But because you can demonstrate the loop, you can do it over and over again. And Beast Within allows you to ec to turn things into creatures to allow you to start the reality shift thing going. And so... That is super convoluted. Right? But once you demonstrate the loop, it's like, I turn that into a beast. Now I exile it, and you flip the top card and manifest it. Then I time twister, reality shift again. Top yeah. card, top card, top so card, top card. you always have card. something to exile. Yeah, exile everything off. You also have Cyclonic Rift in your deck if 
something weird happens and you need to just get rid of all the tokens, the beast within tokens, you can do that. That's a really weird one. But because of Time Twister, you can just constantly reuse the same cards. And once you have infinite mana, you can just do that all over and over again. Really right, weird. Right. So you already know exactly where you're going to be able to draw and all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's so... It's an interesting win condition. Um, it's so convoluted. So Thrasios really wants infinite mana, right? Because all this stuff requires infinite mana. Once you have infinite mana, you don't need anything else. You just need your commander, and then you're mm -hmm. going to draw into all the other pieces you need because you're going to draw your deck. So the main point of the entire deck is to create infinite mana as soon as possible. Easy. It's actually pretty easy. Creating infinite mana is not super hard. It just costs money. Let's not kid around. <laughs> I mean, some of these aren't super expensive either, but if you want to have enough redundancy in your deck... You have to have every single... Yeah, yeah but a lot of these are not super expensive, right? So the the first one... Might there's be the some most expensive, actually. Yeah. So the first combo I've got down is Basalt Monolith or Grim Monolith. Both of these are artifacts that tap for three mana, but you have to pay a price to untap them. And usually... You either lose mana on that exchange or you break even. So you, the Basalt Monolith taps for three mana, but you have to pay three mana to untap it. So you're kind of like... It's like in getting an early investment of a nice bump of mana, but later down the road, if you want to use it again, you have to find the open mana to untap it. Right. Um, but there's a card from Antiquities called Power Artifact. Yeah, this thing is 100 bucks plus. It's uh, It's been... Obviously, you can't read the text that's on it, but... It now reads, blue, blue, enchantment aura, enchant artifact. Enchanted artifacts activated abilities cost two less to activate, and this can't affect. Uh, this effect can't reduce the amount of mana it costs to less than one mana. So all of a sudden, Basalt Monolith costs three mana to untap, and creates three mana, but now it costs one mana to untap, but still creates three mana. So you tap it for three, pay one of it to untap each time you're getting two mana. So that's infinite mana right there with Thrasios, power artifact. Boom, you're already drawing your entire deck right there. Two-card combo. Yeah, works with Groom Monolith 2. That costs four to untap, but you just Power make Artifact one. makes it two, yeah. and you make one mana on the exchange. As long as you're coming out one mana ahead and you can do something infinitely, then you're going to be ahead of mana. Um, the second combo also uses Basalt Monolith, and it is paired with Rings of Bright Hearth. So Rings of Bright Hearth says whenever you activate an ability, if it isn't a mana ability, you can pay two... And if you do copy that ability, you can choose new targets for the copy. Now, this gets confusing because Basalt Monolith taps for three mana. That is a mana ability. Yes. However, untapping Basalt Monolith, which costs three mana, is not a mana ability. And that's the ability you're copying. So for you pay three, or sorry, you tap it, you create three, you pay three to untap it, and then you pay two to untap it a second time. And in between those two uh, triggers, you tap it. So for five mana, you're making six mana. Yep. And now you've created infinite mana. Uh, yeah, that's the Rings of Bright Hearth Basalt Monolith combo. Rings of Bright Hearth in general, just a very good commander card. Uh, so. Yep. Um, Isochron Scepter is oh, another this one. This is my favorite of all of them because yeah. the card that it uses it with is just like the grossest. This Now, this is not an expensive uh, no. combo. In it, fact, people all laughed at how bad this card was. Yeah. So you combine Isochron Scepter with dramatic reversal isochron scepter is an artifact it costs two it has imprint so when isochron scepter enters the battlefield you can exile an instant card from your hand with converted mana cost two or less and then you pay two and you tap the isochron scepter and you may copy the exiled card and you if you do you may cast the copy without paying its mana cost so basically isochron scepter sort of it imprints an instant and then you can cast that 
as many times as you want, just tapping the Isochron Scepter for two every time you do. So yeah. lots of people put like brainstorm on this, and then they can just kind of brainstorm every turn for two. Even Counterspell. Oh, know. Counterspell is great. Yeah. And I I've got, seen uh, this done in Limited, too, which is really brutal. Yeah. I remember when we were playing uh, Eternal Masters, I got an Isochron Scepter with a Counterspell on it against Kenji. <laughs> Game over, won, right? <laughs> Game over. Yeah, you're, you're I perfect. beat him twice. Ooh, perfect winning streak. No, it's not perfect. He did beat me once. Oh. I'm up 2-1 in the oh, lifetime that's series. That's still pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, so the card that you put on to the Isochron Scepter to create infinite mana is... Oh, dramatic Reversal, a random common from Kaladesh. For one in the blue, it's an instant. Untap all non-land permanents you control. All this means is because Isochron Scepter is also a non-land permanent, when you pay to and tap it, you're going to cast Dramatic Reversal, and then Dramatic Reversal is going to untap the Isochron Scepter. And as long as you're able to produce three mana from any number of rocks... Assault uh, Monolith assault again monolith, will do it. Yeah. Yeah. Gilded Lotus, Strong Dynamo. Over and over and over again. Yeah. Gilded Lotus would be great here because then you can create any amount of colored mana that you want as yeah. well. Now, those are expensive rocks. So you're probably going to be wanting to use in the cheap ones in, in yeah. competitive EDH, but Grim Monolith, Basalt Monolith, Mana Vault, there's a ton. Um, so... Or just more than one rock. Yep. Because it'll untap untap all your rocks. Soaring Signet. Yep. So very, very powerful way to create infinite mana. Now, the the ones that are paired... Very dramatic way, Josh. Very dramatic (laughs) way to reverse your current fortunes. Um, Another way that a lot of these decks use, and this can be with Kaidel either as the partner commander or not. She can be in the deck. Mm -hmm. You can use Kaidel with either Umbral Mantle or Staff of Domination. Uh, So Kaidel is a legendary creature. She's a 2-3. She costs 2 green-blue. You tap her and add a colorless mana to your mana pool for each card you've drawn this turn. So if you can brainstorm or do something else where all of a sudden she's tapping for 3 or 4 mana, then you can combine her with the Umbral Mantle or the Staff of Domination. Umbral Mantle is a 3-drop artifact, and it says, Equip creature has. Pay 3. Then uh, this creature gets then the untap symbol. So you're, it's very few cards have this, but instead of tapping it to get an ability, you're untapping it. This creature gets plus 2, plus 2 until end of turn, and the equip cost is 0. So, so you don't care about the plus 2, plus 2 as much, but you're paying 3 to untap Kaidel. So if she ever taps for 4, you just tap for 4, pay 3 of it to untap her, and then tap for four, play three of it to untap, and it's the same thing, right? You're yeah. just going around that same merry-go-round and creating infinite mana. Staff of Domination is very similar. It's not equipment, but it's a three-cost artifact. It has a bunch of abilities, but the one that's important is you can pay three and tap the... Um, you can pay, sorry, yeah, three and tap the Staff of Domination to untap target creature. And then you can also pay one to untap the Staff of Domination. And so what you can do is you pay three, untap Kaidel, pay one, untap the Staff... So in this case, Kaidel would have to uh, tap for at least five, five mana yeah. for you to for you to come out ahead. So you'd have to have drawn five cards that turn. Um, very doable. Again, you're in blue, so you have ways to just you know draw a bunch of cards really quick and then do that. Kaidel in general too is just very powerful. Yeah, and then I reference you to the game nights episode where you went off with her. Yeah, I basically did similar things to this. Not 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 the same. Um, and I, I should say that yeah, on game nights I played a Kaidel deck that did not have Thrasios and a Thrasios deck that did not have Kaidel, but neither of them were the competitive versions. Yeah, like just, we're talking about here. Partner commanders are very good. Yeah. I'll just say that much. Um, so another way that these that a Thrasios deck can sort of this is less infinite necessarily. I mean, you can go infinite with it, but you don't have to, which is Paradox Engine. And remember, because Thrasios allows you to get um, all your cards into your hand, a lot of times Paradox Engine gets played as the way to allow you to create infinite colored mana. 
Yeah. Right? So I get infinite mana. I draw my entire deck, but I, I can't cast Blue Sun Zenith a bunch of time because I don't have enough blue mana. But because I've drawn my entire deck and I have infinite amount of colorless mana, now I can drop my Gilded Lotus, my Paradox Engine, a few other rocks, and I cast another spell. And Paradox Engine, I should read it, five mana cost artifact, legendary artifact. Whenever you cast a spell, untap all non-land permanents you control. So, yeah, and you don't have to go infinite necessarily with it. You can just, you know, cast four or five spells, untap all your stuff, and every time you're doing that, you're tapping them again for more mana and suddenly create all the blue mana you need to play your Blue Sun Zenith. And, of course, every time you play Blue Sun Zenith, you untap everything. So I guess it does kind of go infinite in that case. Um, One thing that's interesting is that you've used all of these cards in game nights, but True. Never, never all at once. Yeah. But it just shows how powerful they are. Well, and obviously I haven't they're very used good. power artifacts because I don't actually have one. Yeah, you know, the only person <laughs> in our play group that would use that would probably Craig. be Craig. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has all those old cards. Um, and uh, and Craig has used the basalt monolith rings of bright hearth combo on me a few times. So. Yeah, in his Memnark deck. I yeah, mean. and there's also you know notably what is the card? I keep forgetting the name, but you can filter mana into it to get colored. Mana. Yeah, it's like gemstone array. Yeah, or gemstone array. That that's obviously very good in the deck that wants to make colored mana. But for the most part, these decks are more just concerned about just just getting infinite mana, drawing their deck, lab maniac, whatever, winning like that. So. That is kind of how the the general Thrasios deck works. Um, just get infinite mana and then mill everybody with one of those cards, uh, Blue Suns or some weird Time Twister combo, which I liked when I saw it, but I haven't actually seen that in person. I did want to point out, because there's a cool combo that the Vile Smasher version kind of runs. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about this really quick. It runs a card called Morsel Hoarder. So that's four and then two hybrid red-greens. So six mana total for a 6-4 elemental. It, it uh, comes into play with two negative one counters on it, and then you can remove a negative one counter from it to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. It also plays Devoted Druid, right? which is a card that, uh, it's a mana dork. You can tap it to add green, and you can put a negative one counter on Devoted Druid to untap the Devoted Druid, right? So... And then it plays Necrotic Ooze, which is, a, which is a creature that says as long as it's on the battlefield, it has all activated abilities of all creature cards in all graveyards. So what you try to do is get Morsel Hoarder, Devoted Druid into your graveyard. There's probably a little more dredge in this type of strategy where mm-hmm. you're dumping a bunch of stuff in. And so Necrotic Ooze has the abilities of both the Morsel Hoarder and the Devoted Druid. And what you can do is remove a negative one counter to create a man of any color. Then you can... Tap it. Tap it for mana for a green. Put a negative one counter on it with Devoted Druid to untap it. Remove the counter with Morsel Hoarder to make a mana. Tap it. Yep. And you can create unlimited mana, infinite mana that way, which I thought was kind of cool. Again, this is not one I've seen in person. But. As a result, 50% of that infinite mana is green, though. That's true, but I mean... <laughs> it doesn't matter at that point. Yeah. The, the other... Well, is there a 50% of infinite? No. <laughs> no, no, there's not. It's just infinite. It's just infinite. All right, so uh, Thrasios, that is a quick breakdown on him. Or her. Either way, Thrasios is a very powerful commander. In fact, I'd say if you're like looking to build just a partner commander or you want to start off with a deck that maybe you don't know exactly what direction it's going, but you know what colors you want to be in, playing a Thrasios, just having the ability to get extra cards and all that stuff is great across the board. So even though it is quite the infinite beast, also pretty, just pretty good for any casual players as well. Yeah, I think Thrasios is one of those cards that just if I have those colors in that deck, it's going into those decks. Like I just use it in almost everything. Because yeah, there's very often times where you just kind of want to hold up mana in case and it allows you to use it even if you're not going infinite. It's just very efficient and very good. And you're drawing the cards before your turn, all that good stuff. You're ramping too if you yeah. happen to be a land. It's very good. Yeah. Um, 
This next deck is kind of an old deck in our playgroup. There was a time when there was a couple of these decks yeah. early on. Uh, they weren't super, super tuned, tuned, but they did have this combo in it that it's built around. Tuned version of this de of these decks are extremely powerful, can sometimes go off as early as turn two. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. It's the Prosh Food Chain decks. So Prosh, Sky Raider of Kerr, is a commander that costs three and uh, Jund, black, red, and green. It's a 5-5 five, five flying dragon, legendary creature, of course. I'll take it. Yeah. When you cast Prosh, you, you put X-01 uh, red cobalt tokens onto the battlefield where X is the amount of mana spent to cast Prosh. So it scales with the uh, with your commander tax. Yeah. So Prosh costs six the first time, you get six cobalts. If he dies or whatever, and you cast him the second time, you pay eight mana, you get eight cobalts. And Prosh also has the text, you can sacrifice another creature, and Prosh gets plus one, plus oh until end of turn. Yeah. Um, so Prosh very good because he has a sacrifice outlet on him. He's not the, because of the plus one he gets. That rarely yeah. matters. But the fact that you can get rid of your creatures and sort of recycle them and reuse them at instant speed for no cost, just a free sack outlet is, is very, very powerful. This is also one of the first uh, big examples of how Wizards started adding in special sort of additional text to yeah. make cards better for a commander. And Prosh is one of those like, well, look, now that every time you cast him, you get something else. Now, the card that goes infinite with is one that I love very much. It's Food Chain, two and a green for an enchantment. And Food Chain, uh, very old, but very powerful. Exile a creature you control. Add X mana of any one color to your mana pool, where X is the exiled creature's converted mana cost, plus one. Spend this mana only to cast creature spells. So... The idea is that you're feeding in a creature, it takes it, spits out one mana extra of its CMC. And so you then go up the food chain. Up the food chain, yeah. Yeah, so you can sacrifice a four drop and then play a five drop. The thing is, with commanders, because when you sacrifice them to food chain, you can choose to put them back into the command zone. Now, all of a sudden, you can cast it again. Well, you, you cast sorry, you're it again. exiling a creature you control, so you definitely can put it back in the command zone. Exactly. And then, so you can sort of use your commander to, you know, go up the chain more than you normally would. Now, commander tax is two more every time, so food chain only gives you one more every time. However... Oh, darn, if only there were more creatures to exile. Yeah, Prosh comes in with a bunch of kobolds, which you can sacrifice each kobold for one mana because there's zero CMC. And so once you get Prosh out with Food Chain, you're going up the chain big time because you cast them for six, get six Kobolds, sack the six Kobolds to the Food Chain, and Prosh, that's a total of 12 mana. Actually, sorry, 13, 13 mana, mana that yeah. you get. And now you use eight of it to cast Prosh again, and you get eight Kobolds, and now you do that again, do that again, and you have infinite mana. Now you can only use this mana to cast Creature Spells, which gets a little dicey, but you usually go... You're usually tutoring for a card or finding a card that wins based on just the recycling of Prosh over and over. Right. Uh, the two big ones are Perforos and uh, Blood Artist. Um, Perforos triggers anytime a creature enters the battlefield and does mm -hmm. two damage to each of your opponent. So if you have Perforos out, you get the food chain thing going, you're going to win because you're like, cast Prosh, plus six Kobolds, that's seven, that's 14 damage to everybody. Sack them in all the Kobolds, cast them again. Yep. Now that's nine creatures that's 18 more damage to everybody do it again everyone's dead blood artist takes a little bit more time doesn't matter because you're infinite uh because it does it deals damage to uh to an opponent it drains an opponent sorry each time a creature dies yeah and you have to be so, a little more careful because you can't use the food chain trigger to 
trigger blood artists. You have to be sacking them with Prosh. But like we said, you don't even need to sack all your kobolds with Prosh for the first time to recast them out of the command zone. You just need one and Prosh. What you do is you get infinite mana and you get to the point where, okay, I'm casting Prosh for the you know, seven millionth time. That's making <laughs> seven million kobolds. And now on this time, I'm actually just going to sack the kobolds to Prosh because the blood artist is out and deal a million to you, a million to you, a million to you, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Um, yeah. So the the way to sort of go off on turn two, which is rare, you have to have a good starting hand, but if you play a turn one mana dork, like a Birds of Paradise, turn two with the mana dork, you play a land, now you have three mana, you play food chain, sack the mana dork, get two mana, two mana. pass a two drop, sack it, get three mana, cast three. a three drop, and you can get to Prosh, play it, and possibly go off on that turn because Perforos and Blood Artists do both count as creatures if you had them in your hand yeah. or you maybe had a Sadisi or some way to, with a creature to go get them. Yeah, the only problem here is that obviously when you are, you know, if you have to sack the Blood Artists to get to three and you have to sack the Perforos to get to five, then you're not in a great position. Yeah. But again, this deck would run Eternal Witnesses and like Sadisis and stuff. So you're going to have tutors and stuff in your hand. Once you're creating infinite mana with Food Chain, all your creatures that you can cast at that point, as long as you're able to draw off of them, you're pretty much in, you're in much better shape. But you do have to have a killer opening hand. And you really, really have to not get countered because what people can do is wait until Prosh costs a, a bunch and then counter you there. And if they get rid of Food Chain or whatever, if you can't continue the cycle in that turn, a lot yeah. of times Prosh is just uncastable for you the rest of the game, and you can't go off again, so it can yeah. get kind of dicey. It's like, oh, Be I'm sorry, your Prosh now costs a million mana? Yeah. Uh, yeah How are you ever going to get up to that? Yeah. You know, yeah. So, that's, But it's a very, very powerful deck. Um, Food Chain, in general, just one of the most powerful cards in the history of Magic. It's a mainstay in uh, Legacy and stuff like that. So Yeah. Um, the big thing, though, is having a finisher. Uh, and in some decks, they'll just get haste on prosh and have him swing in for a billion and kill one person at a time other times you'll have something like impact tremors but again they're not creature based so it's a little bit hard to go off if you're trying to use food chain specifically um so the next deck that we're going to talk about is also a food chain deck this is general tazri tutor on a stick yep general tazri is four and a white for a legendary creature human ally a four three when General Tazri enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an ally creature card, reveal it, put it into your hand, and then shuffle your library. So when you play Tazri, you go find an ally. You tutor for an ally and it goes into your hand. You can also pay Wooberg, and it says ally creatures you control get plus X plus X until end of turn where X is the number of colors among those creatures. That ability never matters. The, the competitive... Tazri decks never use mm -hmm. the Wooberg thing. They're just using Tazri as a tutor to find a specific creature, actually. So what the Tazri decks usually do is they take advantage of the fact that they're Wooberg and they'll play Food Chain with a couple of creatures, with a, with a couple of creatures or a few creatures that you can cast from exile. Mm -hmm. And the two big ones are Mist Hollow Griffin, which is Two blue blue for a flying 3-3, three, three, but it says you may cast Miss Hollow Griffin from exile. So if it's in a, ever in exile, you just pay two blue blue and get back on the battlefield. And then they also will play something like Eternal Scourge, which is a three mana 3-3 three, three, that has the same thing. You may cast it from exile. It also says when it becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, you exile it. That doesn't matter as much probably when you're going off. So mm -hmm. with Food Chain, because Food Chain, when you, when you sack the creature to it, it exiles it. If you have either one of these creatures out, you sack it, 
you make that much mana plus one, you use that mana minus one to cast it again, sack it every time you're making one mana, just like Thrasios kind of how we're saying. Anytime you can demonstrate a loop where you're up one mana. You have infinite mana. So right there, you have infinite mana with Eternal Scourge or Miss Griffin. And once you have... Um, once you have that going, you play Tazri, and you go find Colostria Healer, which is an ally. Um, that yeah, Colostria Healer again, another two limited all star. Yeah, uh, yeah, this card's nuts. One in a black for a one-two creature vampire cleric ally. Whenever Colostria Healer or another ally enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. So it's each opponent on this one. And then what you do is. Once you have Colostra Healer out, you loop Tazri with Food Chain. Right. So Tazri so, exiles, cast Colostra Healer, boop, out, cast Colostra, yeah. boop. And you demonstrate, well, I can cast Tazri infinite times, and every time that's going to trigger Colostra Healer and drain you guys, and I'm going to drain everybody out. Yeah. This is why instant speed answers are good, by the way. Uh, now, obviously, Tazri can play blue. But, yep. But knowing... That's another reason that deck is so good is because Tazra can yeah. play the Force of Wills and the Pact of Negations. And, and I'd say Prosh actually has the biggest weakness because it's already a six-cast co- like commander. And for someone like Tazri, there's, you know, having five colors means you just have access to other ways to stop people from pathing your Colostra healer or stealing it, doing whatever else. But again, instant speed is usually how you try and get around infinite combos. Yeah, the Tazri decks are actually pretty hard to disrupt um, because all the pieces don't care if they're in exile, too. Yeah, so even except if for the Colostra healer. Yeah, except for the healer. Um, and it'll play, they'll play Rift Sweeper and some other stuff in their deck to go get it. But yeah, even if you stop it, a lot of times if you stop a combo, they're in trouble after that. But mm-hmm. this deck is resilient to be able to try and go off the next turn or the next turn if right. Food Chain's still out or you know if they can get it back and things like that. So Yeah, the fact that you can keep getting the Eternal Scourge or the yeah. Missile Griffin back is really powerful. Um, all right, so let's talk about our fourth most powerful. These aren't actually necessarily in like one to five, by the way. They're just five of the most powerful decks. Right, right. Um, it's, called, it's the Teferi Chain Veil deck. Teferi the Planeswalker. Which was in what year was that? Commander uh, 20, 2015? 15, 14. 2014? Jeez. Jeez. How the time has. Actually, I think this was the first Commander decks that came out when we started. We, this the podcast. Is the, yeah, this yeah. is the first ones we reviewed on the show. Yeah, because before that was the Prosh year, right? Yeah. yeah. So if you recall, they did a, a series of monocolored Commander decks, and each one had a Planeswalker, and the Planeswalker had the text that it could be your Commander. So there's five Planeswalkers, one in each color that are allowed to be your commander. And Teferi, Temporal Archmage, is the blue one. It's four blue-blue. For a lot of text. For a five-loyalty Planeswalker. It's plus one. You can look at the top two cards of your library and then put one of them into your hand and the other onto the bottom of your library. So you get to choose between the top two cards of your library. You draw one. That's plus one. It's minus one is untap up to four target permanents. So you can untap four lands. It's minus 10... Again, the deck won't really doesn't care about this, but it is there. You can get an emblem, and it allows you to activate the abilities of Planeswalkers um, at instant speed on other players' turn at instant speed. So yeah. your Planeswalkers become crazy, and you usually play. If you want that ultimate, it's usually in a in a Super Friends deck. But yeah. this is not a Super Friends deck. That's a Fairy deck that we're talking about here. It's a Chain Veil deck. Yeah, Chain Veil, four mana artifact, legendary artifact. So you can only have one out at a time, just so you know. <laughs> uh, at the beginning of your end step, if you didn't activate a loyalty ability of a Planeswalker, this turn you lose two life. Not relevant. 
Pay for and tap the Chain Veil. For each Planeswalker you control, you may activate one of its loyalty abilities once this turn, as though none of its loyalty abilities have been activated this turn. So, Planeswalkers, in order to keep them not busted, and the reason that Teferi has such a weird, crazy ultimate, is you can only use them once per turn at sorcery speed on your turn. So, right. Chain Veil for four mana and tapping the artifact lets you reuse the ability. Now, obviously, Teferi untap stuff. Right, so Teferi's Minus ability untaps up to four target permanents. One of them is the Chain Veil. The other three are large mana rocks. So Teferi likes to play rocks, kind of like Thrasios, that tap for like three plus mana. Mm -hmm. And it can be the Basalt Monoliths, the Grim Monoliths, and that's really what you want, Mana Vaults, things that are tough to untap, because Teferi can just easily untap them with the Minus ability. And so what you do is... You tap all your artifacts, your big artifacts. Maybe you create nine mana. You tap the Chain Veil. You use four of that mana to activate it, targeting Teferi. Now Teferi can minus, untap all that stuff. Now you're up five mana on that exchange. Mm -hmm. You're not technically infinite, but you're close, right? Because you do that again, you do that again, you do that again. Teferi dies. Yep. Teferi goes to your command zone. You've got all this extra mana you created. You cast Teferi again. That's a new permanent. I activate it, untap stuff, yeah. start again, start again, start again. It gets to the point where because of t commander tax, I think like mathematically you could get to the point where you're not actually making mana on that exchange, but that's a long way off. Yeah, not to mention if you have enough mana, you can start using it to also tick Teferi upwards. I'm sure there's some kind of math that works Well, that's out. what happens, right? You get to the point where, okay, I'm not infinite, but I have a few thousand mana. Yeah. Now I'm just using Teferi to... Uh, I can I can plus to fairy with chain veil, go find my um, go find something like Jace the Mind Sculptor, right, and then use that and to then get use to his ultimate yeah, and I've got tons of mana and everything, and then so what I'm doing is I'm now using chain veil and stuff with Jace to get his ultimate to and again this is another get infinite mana or near infinite draw your entire deck you're always gonna find the pieces you need yeah once you got those pieces in place you know. Now use that to actually use Jace the Mind Sculptor to mill everyone out. Jace's ultimate is that target player exiles their entire library and then their hand becomes their library. So first of all, they have no cards in hand and their library is very small. And then if you can activate it again, which because of Chain Veil, you can. Right. You do now exile a single player. Yeah, now you exile and they're gone. And then you do the next player, the next player, the next player. Um, obviously, this, this combo requires a couple more pieces. But the key point is once you get to very going, you can draw into them because you can draw, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even to, I mean, Teferi, he's mono blue, so you can get the power artifact, Basalt, Grim Monolith combo. You can play Blue Sun Zenith. You can do a lot of different things. I actually like Teferi a lot because it requires a pretty specific setup to get going. But again, being in mono blue, you have pretty much all you need to be able to get there and protect it. Yeah, and protect it. That's a really good point, right? Still plays all the protect, force protect, of wills protect. and stuff to protect their combo. Okay. Moving on to the last uh, one we're going to talk about today. It's one we've mentioned on the show, um, but we never went in, in depth. It's Zur the Enchanter, and this is the Zur Doomsday deck. talk about this deck all the time. Yeah, this one I played against a few times. It's very powerful and 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 tough to tough to beat, and it's also very tough to play. Um, so Zur Doomsday is... Well, let's read Zur really quick. So Zur costs one in Esper, four mana total, one white, blue, black for a flying one, four human wizard. Whenever Zur attacks, you may search your library for an enchantment card with converted mana cost three or less and put it onto the battlefield if you do shuffle your library. So it tutors and plays a three, th an exactly three CMC enchantment. Uh, very powerful, but the competitive lists, funnily enough, run very few enchantments. 
Mostly, Xur is there to find one specific enchantment, Necropotence. And honestly, the super highly tuned competitive Xur decks don't even play Xur most of the time. They're mm-hmm. kind of like in trouble if they have to play Xur. They're on like, you know, well, the, something's gone wrong <laughs> right. if they do it. But it is nice to have your plan like D or plan plan B be that I can still go get Necropotence and still make this happen. Mm-hmm. Um Doomsday is really the key card in the deck. Yeah, Doomsday is a black, black, black sorcery. This is what you're searching up with Necropotence. Hope you have a lot of black mana. Uh, search your library and graveyard, pour five cards, and exile the rest. Put the chosen cards on top of your library in any order, and you lose half of your life rounded up. So even if you're at, like, two life because of Necropotence, you just go down to one. So you can you can never die from that part of Doomsday. Um, unless you're at one, right? Well, I mean, you don't have to use Necropotence to find it. You could Demonic Tutor or something. Necropotence is just sort of a backup way to find it if you have to, but there's a lot of ways in the deck to find Doomsday. Yeah. And it plays a lot of rituals, so you might even Dark Ritual Doomsday. And now you can stack your deck to to basically win the same turn. You need a couple of things. You need a a, a cantrip. You usually are sort of cantripping and in response doing stuff. It gets convoluted. Here's how you want to stack, stack your deck, though. Doomsday, again, you're going to put five cards onto the top of your deck, and everything else is gone. Not right? to mention, you can search your graveyard, which makes this even harder to stop. Yep. Unless you're exiling cards out of people's hands. Right. So the, the five cards you put in order, the bottom card is Lab Maniac. The card above that is Yawgmoth's Will. The card above that is Jataxian Probe. The card above that is Lion's Eye Diamond. And the card above that is Gush. All right, so let's talk about these. Gush is a five-mana instant that draws you two cards. However, you may return two islands you control to their owner's hand rather than paying Gush's mana cost. So you can essentially play this for free and then draw two cards, which means you will be drawing Lion's Eye Diamond and Gataxian Probe. Right. Lion's Eye Diamond is a zero-cost artifact. You can sacrifice it, and then you have to discard your hand, but you get three mana of any color. Right. So, so it's Black Lotus, but with discard your entire hand on it. Right. You also have Jutaxian Probe underneath that, so you would cast that before your Lion's Eye Diamond to draw another card out of your deck, with it, which is Yawgmoth's Will. Now, Jutaxian Probe costs one Phyrexian blue mana, so you can pay either a blue mana or pay two life to cast it. So what you do yeah. here... So, so far, here's where we are. You, Doomsday, you play any cantrip that gets you gush into your hand. Now, from that point, you just need a couple of life, and you don't need any more mana. Because you can return two islands to your hand, play Gush. That draws you into Lion's Eye Diamond and Jataxian Probe. You can pay two life to cast Jataxian Probe. Maintain priority, and in response, before you've drawn the card while it's still on the stack, you sacrifice Lion's Eye Diamond, adding three black mana to your mana pool. Now Jataxian Probe resolves. You draw Yawgmoth's Will, which is... Uh, yep, until end of the turn, you may, cl- you may play cards from your graveyard. So, so you use the three black that you just created with Lion's Eye Diamond, play Yawgmoth's Will. Yep. Now you have access to Gush, Lion's Eye Diamond, Jataxian Pro. Probably a lot more. Right. It's assuming there's some more stuff in your library. Oh, actually, no. There's going to be nothing in your graveyard. Right. Because there's of, only uh, Lab Maniac. There's nothing in your graveyard, and there's only Lab Maniac on top of your deck now. You play Lion's Eye Diamond, sack it because you have no hand. You create three blue mana. Yeah. Now you play the Jataxian Probe out of the graveyard. Again, by paying two life, you don't have to pass any more mana. You draw the Laboratory, laboratory Maniac into your hand. You've got three blue mana and a Gush in your graveyard. And Laboratory Maniac, which is, by the way, one of the key cards in competitive EDH that's in like most of the decks. Um, Especially on the blue ones that want to draw their whole deck. Yeah, and it says if you... It's a creature. It costs two and a blue. It's a 2-2, two, two, but it says if you would draw a card 
while your while your library has no cards in it, you win the game. So instead yep. of losing to mill, you win when you get milled out, right? right? So you're able to cast again the Lab Maniac because of the Lion's Eye Diamond, and then because of Yagamas Will, you're able to recast one of your draw spells. You cast Gush, which is in there, and you don't have to pay mana. You just return two more islands, cast Gush, go to draw. Bing! You win. You win. Convoluted, but once you get Doomsday, it's all academic from there. Yeah, just because you're able to exactly set up the combo, and yeah. uh, hopefully no one disrupts it. Yeah, you have to be very careful because you've exiled a bunch of stuff. Um, but it's a pretty cool combo. One thing I'll say about the Xur Doomsday deck, and it runs a card called Ad Nauseam. Yeah, and and Ad Nauseam might be the best card in the deck. I mean, obviously the win condition is cool, but Ad Nauseam is an instant. It's three black black, and it says reveal the top card of your library and put that card into your hand. You You lose life equal to its converted mana cost. But you may repeat this process any number of times. And these decks are built with super low CMCs, a bunch of zero-cost artifacts, a bunch mm -hmm. of one-cost cantrips, and you just draw a ton of cards with it. You don't care about life loss. You're just trying to put together your combo. And like I said, it, it plays rituals like Dark Ritual, High Tide, things like that. So a lot of the cards you're drawing are cards that are going to create you mana. Mm -hmm. So you can go off super early once you play Ad Nauseam. And... Uh, Another card that it plays to kind of protect itself from Ad Nauseam killing it is Angel's Grace. Yeah, this is an instant with split second, and it basically says you can't lose the game this turn, and your, your opponents can't win the game this turn. But until end of turn, damage that would reduce your life total to less than one reduces it to one instead. So now with Ad Nauseam and Angel's Grace, you get to just draw your entire deck. You're, you can't die from it. Yeah. However, uh, this does not work with Necropotence, by the way, because Necropotence, I believe, is not damage. So it's very specific to Ad Nauseam. Ad nauseum needs to be... I think you lose... Yeah, life. you have to pay a life yeah. for ad nauseum. So, and ad nauseum, you lose life. It's, yeah. yeah, magic's weird, but that's the way it works. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, so that allows you to sort of put together your combo. Ad nauseum's a very cool card. Not a lot of decks can run it because they have to worry about, like, you know, a lot of times in most decks, most of our decks, I'd say, people with normals, you know, mana curves... You're like, I can draw four cards. It'll do 16 damage to me. Yeah, like, I don't right. want to run that card. But, you know, highly tuned decks like Xur can run it, and it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, so that's kind of really broad strokes how those deck decks work. Um, they're super... These are competitive decks. They're difficult to play, and it's difficult to know when to sort of go for it in those decks, too, because there are various points when all these decks are going off where they're super vulnerable, and if they get disrupted or countered or... Um, they lose the counterspell war. There's even some split second cards that can really screw them up. Cross yeah. and grip can screw up a Cross lot of these. Cross and grip's big, yeah. Um, Sudden spoiling's another one. Uh, I don't think those cards are heavily played in competitive EDH because those in competitive EDH three CMC is pretty expensive. But those are the type of cards that can mess up your combo pretty good because they got split second and they and they screw you up. And usually, yeah. most of these decks they do have some resiliency. But once they do try to go off, if you can stop them that turn, you're probably in pretty good shape. Yeah. But Zer is, again, the best person for the set because you can get Necropotence out with him. You can get um, Phyrexian Unlife, which is another similar effect to Angel's Grace, uh, which lets you not die if you have zero life. Um, so lots of redundancy there. Yeah, pretty cool deck. I've definitely lost to it a few times. Um, there's two things. So that's all the decks we're going to talk about today, but there's a couple of things I wanted to, to go into. We didn't want to spend, because the episode would be super long, talking about um, how to counter all these decks, right? But there are some things, because we get asked these kind of questions a lot from people, and competitive EDH decks are weak to a lot of similar things. And one of them is hate bears. Mm -hmm. So stuff like Falia, 
the original Thalia, that is like really tough for a lot of these decks. You'll notice a lot of these decks want to cast things multiple times in a turn, cheap things. You know, think of how Doomsday Zer goes off. If you have to pay for Gush, one extra mana, pay for Jataxian, pay for Lion's Eye Diamond, you're, you're cast, not going to go up. You can't. Like, you won't, won't be able work, to do yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the decks are like that. Pr- stuff like Praetor's Grasp is a card that searches your opponent's library for a card and exiles it. <laughs> if you know they're running combo decks, you can run cards like that to just get food chain out of their deck. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Uh, that. Typically, we don't recommend playing cards like that. But if you find that you're in a very competitive meta and that's the only option you have, then... If people are comboing off, I think it's totally fair to do that, right? Yeah. If their goal of their deck is to get out a specific combo, then that's a good way for you to combat it, and I would be in favor of running it. It's not very good against decks that aren't comboing off because you're just going to lose a card they probably didn't even have in their hand. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's not actually a great card. There's things like Nevermore, Meddling Mage, which can sort of help you here too, where you play it out and you name the card. They're not as good. Uh, because it's something on board they can get rid of that's a little bit easier. But mm-hmm. those are ways to sort of attack um, competitive decks and and, and these decks. And Instant I did, speed removal, though. Very, very I'd good. I'd say split-second speed you really want. Yeah, Crossing Grip is by far yeah. the best card to stop most, if, most a of lot these of combos. This stuff, yeah, because yeah. you're just dealing with enchantments. And Sudden Spoiling is really good, too, because it'll sort of turn, depending on what, what the combo is, it sort of turns off their Colostery Healer this turn right. or stuff like that. And they can't counter that stuff. Because most of these decks are counting on you to try and counter or disrupt them. And that's why uh, split seconds can be really good against stuff like that. Um, most of the time, you've got if you're playing against other competitive decks, you have a competitive deck. Mm-hmm. So, you know, most of you also have a ton of disruption and you're just trying to look for your window to go off. So, right. Um, oh, one thing I wanted to say is there's a YouTube channel and a podcast that's dedicated to competitive EDH. It's called uh, Laboratory Maniacs. There you go. Coincidentally. So I've listened to them a little bit, uh, not a ton because we don't play a lot of competitive EDH, but it's nice to sort of keep up on the scene a little bit. So you can find them on YouTube and on your podcast apps like like uh, iTunes and stuff. Yep. And, you know, when you do research, like I was for this episode on competitive EDH lists, they, they just pop up a lot because they're just really involved in that scene. So yeah. that's a place to check it out if you're so inclined. And the name that you would call competitive EDH online as well as in subreddits and stuff is just CEDH. Oh, yeah. Lowercase C, EDH. EDH yeah. yeah. And there's a Reddit just for competitive EDH and there's other areas to go to discuss that stuff so yeah Uh, all right well let's move on to the listeners we would like to know what you think the most powerful deck in the format is and maybe it's separate than what we've said here maybe it has hermit druid in there you never know yeah i didn't include any hermit druid decks there are some there are there are some crazy things i mean like look there's we could this list could be 10 up to 20 you know there's a lot of tiers of competitive decks but yeah let us know. And also, just what's the most powerful deck that you've ever played against? Because I'd like to know. like, hey, Or with. Or with, right? Because I'd love to know Kitchen Table Magic. Oh, the best deck I ever played against was X. Yeah, most of us aren't in a scene where there's a lot of competitive decks. Uh, so the most powerful deck that we've seen may not be, you know, Zer Doomsday or whatever. Yeah. And, and to be honest, the ones I've played against are usually at GPs and stuff. Yep. Um, Almost always, actually. Yeah. Or with Cassius, because he likes to play really powerful decks. <laughs> powerful cards, powerful decks, blinged out everything. Cassius. He boy. don't pull any punches, man. Yeah, Bring your A game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and where he gets a lot of his cards, coincidentally, is this at is cardkingdom.com. At their physical store, too. Yeah, slash command zone. That was his LGS when he was in Seattle. Sadly, he's in uh, New England now playing we for the Patriots. Let's not talk about it. I'm not as sad about it as you are. 
<laughs> okay. But Card- More than bread, yeah. Let's go, Hawks. All right. But if you use our Card Kingdom affiliate link, you really are supporting the show. You're really keeping the lights on here and uh, making sure that Game Nights keeps happening. In fact, we just uh, had our one-year uh, birthday for Game that's Nights, right. which I, I put down as something we can talk about at the end step. Uh, because, But that's not technically outside the world of magic, so I don't know if we should. Oh, no. Anyway, Game Nights is one-year-old, and part of the reason we're one-year-old is because of the support from sponsors like Card Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And, and sponsors yeah. like Ultra Pro. Uh, again, you can buy Ultra Pro product at cardkingdom.com. You can just buy that at your LGS. You can look, go to their website and check out. They always do releases and announcements of what their next products are going to be. Um, obviously, like we have these amazing Hascon mats in front of us. They're very hard oh, to get yeah. now. But these are the cool things that you know you get to have from Ultra Pros. That This is incredibly high-quality Dino Grimlock. Grimlock. Yeah, I, I got really the, want to make this commander, by the way. I have the Sword of Dungeons and Dragons playing mount here. Yeah. So. Very exciting. Speaking of unstable. Very unstable. Oh, some of the previews have come out as well recently, and boy, they are amazing. That set looks amazing. Yeah, every card so far I'm just marveling at. So. It's too early to talk about it. I still got to open all my mana drains in Iconic Masters, though. <laughs> yeah. Still, Good luck with that. So excited about that. <laughs> all right. Now let's move on to the end set where we talk about something outside the world of magic. Sure, why not? Happy birthday, Game Nights. We're a year old. Although the first time we released the Game Nights, it was just called uh, Out, Out of the, the Box. Box. But it was on November 11th. Mm-hmm. So it's almost exactly a year old. It's like a year and a week. Yeah. Uh, pretty crazy, man. Pretty crazy. When we did that first one, I never thought we would do like 13 in a row. No, after that, 12 I, I think in a row after our that. plan was just like kind of what we did with Kitchen Table Fables because they came out around the same time. I was like, let's test out a few things, see what resonates. And while we love doing Kitchen Table Fables in terms of the amount of uh, money that that costs compared to ha- how we can do game nights at the more efficient and obviously we can build a set we don't need to go to new places every single time like we would with something a show like that i think it's been worth it now you've spent approximately oh yeah a couple thousand hours probably at this point yeah easily over a thousand maybe it's probably the, it's probably over two yeah uh i've spent like maybe 300 hours on it so at, at least because you figure those days are like 12 hour days You've probably oh shooting was you're right yeah. I, I, I didn't even factor that in but big kudos to you Josh you're the one that deserves the biggest birthday cake <laughs> oh, uh, well the biggest slice of the birthday cake because you've taken the biggest slice of the work on the editing side of things it's definitely become a full time job which is crazy I never would have thought that either but I'm glad the response has been so good if you haven't watched the new game nights we got Wedge from the Manasaurus we got the professor from Tularean Community College oh, what a lineup it's a sweet game it's super funny and it's pretty crazy we're playing a uh, wacky made-up format, mm-hmm. which is uh, Iconic Masters 12-pack multiplayer sealed. Yeah. I know some of you may be unhappy that it's not Commander, but honestly, this was more entertaining than any Commander game I've ever played. <laughs> Just straight up. It was a sweet game. Fun to play with those guys. I will say, while we had Wedge and Prof in town, we definitely shot another episode of Game Nights with our own Commander deck, so that will be coming out at some point in the future, you know, if you're really nice to us. Yeah. <laughs> be nice to Josh. Send them some cake. <laughs> Send them some cake with hot sauce on it. Uh, you should also check out the Masters of Modern podcast, which is our sister podcast, Alex Kessler, Ben Bateman. They talk about the modern format, all things competitive magic. You can find them on collected.company right next to us or uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, those type of things, or on Twitter at the MMCast. Yeah, they have to be coming up on some kind of birthday soon, right? I think they just had their, I think they just had their three-year anniversary because nice. we, we, we celebrated our three-year podcast anniversary, didn't we? I Maybe. think we did. It's all starting to blur together. You tell us. 
I think we mentioned it at least. I hope we did. We're getting that would have been back in like June or yeah, July. Yeah. Yeah. Notably, though, we're getting close to 200. So if you guys oh, have any God. fun ideas for that, let us know. Until then, make sure you also check out youtube.com slash the command zone podcast where our editor, Terry Robertson, has all of our videos in edited form in video for our podcasts. And now he's working on game nights as well. So Terry is just branching out and doing more and more, which is awesome. Big thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, who does the living card animations that start and end the show, as well as the living card animation behind us. Horizon Canopy. Horizon Canopy. From uh, Iconic Masters. Very, very cool. You can find Jeffrey on Twitter at livingcardsmtg, and he's done quality work over many years we can't thank him enough all right everybody thanks have a happy thanksgiving if you're in the states that's right and if you're not in the states have a happy november if you're not in the world have a happy cosmic whatever time it is happy cosmic whatever time it is if you don't believe in time or time is not a function of your dimension then just have a good one and if you don't abide by the number system like ones and twos then just have a good Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> <laughs>